Good evening. Welcome. I'm Jeff Gilmore. I'm the Chief Creative Officer here at Tribeca. And I'm very, very pleased to welcome you to our special event in collaboration with ESPN on shooting and sports, <coughs> film and sports. The series that we've done this week has been all about really how to bring ideas into film festivals. I think for many years, film festivals were very insular events and there was a very somewhat narrow aesthetic and somewhat narrow level of discussion. There was a criticism of films and ideas about films. What we're here to talk about is how storytelling has affected every universe that we're in, and particularly that universe of sports, which is even a couple of years ago was an arena, as I was just talking with Connor Shell about, in which what passed for sports journalism and what passed for storytelling in sports was limited. Let me just put it that way. It wasn't exactly something that you wrote home about. And the gentlemen that we have on our panel with us tonight are two of the people that have changed our industry in sports and storytelling. Connor Shell, who's the executive producer for ESPN Films and Original Content, I think more than anyone practically single-handedly responsible for bringing storytelling and documentary film together in a way that no one could have achieved with the quality that he did. And he's just to be congratulated, Connor Shell. And a writer, producer, director, storytelling. Peter Berg has made feature films. He's done work on HBO. He's done work on network television. He's done Friday Night Lights. He's State of the Game, films from Hancock to Lone Survivor. He's a storyteller. He's someone who thinks about a lot of different things. You can tell it in his work. And I think he's got a lot to say about his role and literally changing what audiences start to look for in terms of sports and storytelling for a mass audience. Great pleasure, Peter Burke. And lastly, but and lastly, but certainly not least, we have with us to moderate and lead the discussion is a Pulitzer Prize, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Wesley Morris. Someone who's a Someone who's a critic, but also someone who knows sports. Believe me, that's a rare combination. With great pleasure, our panel with Wesley Morris. Thank you, guys. Thanks for coming. Oh, this works. It's on. Check two. We're here. Um, I figured it'd be useful to start with a question that you both could answer, but probably in different ways. Um, I was thinking in, in, in preparing to talk to you guys together uh, about these sort of benchmark moments, sort of the modern benchmark moments in, since maybe like the 1970s um, in terms of, of sports and entertainment, um, particularly in movies, uh, and what they, what they may or may not be. I was thinking of Rocky in 76. Um, I'm not sure what exactly the lasting benchmark of Caddyshack is, but, but, it's, but it's permanent, and it's the people who love it, love it. Um, Hoop Dreams, uh, 1994, and then I would say Friday Night Lights, uh, 2006. 2000, 2006, right? Um, and Friday Night Lights is interesting because 
it seems it, it's it's cultural impact and and the the degree to which people love it is 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 intense. Um, and I'm sort of wondering from Peter's end how it changed his relationship. I mean, presumably you liked sports before you did this in, in football. Um, but it also seems to have changed the, the entertainment industry's interest in stories about sports, um, which I'm imagining Connor uh, changes your life. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm assuming that on a day-to-day basis, the two movies you probably hear fairly frequently about are Friday Night Lights, either the, the show or the movie, um, or perhaps the book, uh, and Hoop Dream, so I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, and how you want to move beyond that in some ways, but also how you want to sort of build on what those, what those movies have done in terms of the public's interest in, in stories about sports-related material and how what you're looking for beyond sports, per se. We can start with Peter. I thought Caddyshack was a really great film. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Bill Murray's strategy in <clears throat> fighting uh, gophers was emotional and funny and heartfelt and passionate. And, um, what was it? I don't understand the question. <laughs> Basically, how did Friday Night Lights change oh, right. okay. your... Uh, not um, your career, but, I mean, professionally in terms of how... Yeah, I Entertainment think, uh, industry people related. You know, um, uh, Buzz Bissinger wrote, wrote Friday Night Lights, the book, and, and uh, he, he did, uh, I think, an extraordinary job of taking uh, the, the sport genre, and, you know, he wrote it, but he was a very passionate sports fan and had written a lot about sports. But he, when he went down to Texas and <clears throat> lived in that community of Odessa, Texas, and uh, West Texas, it's a very, you know, sort of a mecca, football mecca, he very quickly saw the, 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 the seam, the connection of the, the stitching that linked the sport with the, with the culture very, in a very sociological way and how, how the families were connected, the schools were connected, the churches were connected. And there was no divorcing the, the sport from the, from the soul of that community. And that was the profound uh, sort of takeaway of that book. And when, when we did the film... We just tried to kind of capture that. You know, I went and lived uh, in that community like he did for a year and got, spent quite a bit of time with the local football team, and I, I felt that connection. Um, and I think that what Friday Night Lights, you know, was able to do was present that connection to an audience so that the experience of watching that film, whether you're a football fan or a sports fan or not, was something that felt profoundly emotional. So when the movie came out, people were like, whoa, how, it, why am I crying or... Why do I want to hug my, my child? And why do I love my wife a little bit more today than, than I did yesterday? And, and uh, so for me, the expectation from the community or the, the kind of the game-changing experience was, well, you know, um, this, these people, because it wasn't just me. I was, you know, part of a team, and I credit Buzz Bissinger with, with much of it. But the cinematographer, the editor, the producers, we all of a sudden were like, well, these guys – know how to do sports in a way that feel like it's, it's more than sports. Um, and that's when, you know, the guys like, you know, uh, Connor and Bill came calling about 30 for 30s, and I started getting a lot of offers, and people kind of saying, you know, is there a way to bridge that gap between, you know, a- athletic uh, competition and real, genuine human emotion? How's Connor? that? 
that that's great. great. <laughs> so I mean, I'll start at the beginning of, of where you said, which is to say that that I think that Buzz's book Friday Night Lights is you know. I mean, I think that and Hoop Dreams are sort of ground zero for, for what we do. Um, um, you know, I always say, you know, as a, just a talking point, like, we tell stories about culture, and <clears throat> sports is your window in. And, I mean, you know, I, I would struggle to think of, of something that did that better than the book Friday Night Lights. Um, uh, when we embarked on 30 for 30, I'm not sure if Peter was... was our first call, but but he was he was one of the first people we reached out to, and and that was a lot because, you know, when we thought about the groups of, of directors we wanted to be in business with and reach out to, it, it was the ones who had made the seminal sports movies of of the last uh, couple decades, and and that was, you know, Barry Levinson, and and Peter and and Ron Shelton. Um, you know, along with a, a group of documentarians, um, which included Steve James. So, mm. you know, I, I um, you know, Hoop Dreams we can talk about as well, but, but um, I, I, I just think that, that what Peter and Buzz were able to do in Friday Night Lights through that journey from book to movie to TV show was, was exactly what we aspire to do in, in storytelling, no matter what the form. So I'm wondering... Um, because the thing that I think makes Friday Night Lights different from other sports-related movies, and I was also, I mean, Hoosiers is another good example, too, where you have, where place is so much an aspect of what the story also is in, in, the, in the ways in which sports is part of a community, but, but in many ways inextricable from it. Um, and one of the things that infrequently happens in movies about sports-related movies is that you don't really have... The place isn't really as important. The, the, the nature of the characters and their relationships aren't as important. You have a coach and you have a team. And this was really about the environment. And, and Hoop Dreams is another movie where you know, Chicago was so much a part of, 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 of those guys' story. Um, and... Mainstream American movies aren't really... <laughs> they are disincentivized from being too specific about much of anything, lest you lose an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are going in, an op- in the opposite direction and trying to be as specific as you possibly can about a place and bringing it to life. I mean, you both... I mean, Friday Night Lights and also State of Play, the, the documentary series that you have, um, are trying to do the exact opposite, which is to focus on stories as opposed to making an audience feel good, which I think is, is a different yeah. kind of sports movie. I mean, I, um, you know, I've done films, I've done kind of two, two kinds of films, and, and I've done, uh, you know, when I, when, um, when I did um, Friday Night Lights, or I did The Kingdom, or, or uh, Lone Survivor, um, and certainly the documentary films. That's a very specific type of, of film to me. And you know, I, I studied um, journalism in college, in, in addition to theater. And um, you know, Buzz Bissinger is my cousin and was my hero. He was a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and a wonderful investigative journalist. And I was um, my college had a great uh, cultural anthropology department, McAllister College. And 
not not a great school, but had a great at the time. It's a much better school now. My friend's son's about to go. Well, it's a better school. It's a better school now than, than it was. When, I don't think I could get in now, but um, they had this great cultural anthropology department, and and those were fun classes. And we would go um, take courses in uh, bus room socio- bus stop sociology, where you would have to go and study the behavior of a bus stop for two weeks and, and all the different patterns of behavior and the, the rituals that were um, you know, unconsciously subscribed to by everyone there. And suddenly you take a, an environment that you think is kind of benign and flat and realize that it's infused with all this ritual. And I, I was always attracted to that. And so, for, you know, for the most part, um, I would say Battleship and Hancock, those are two different films. Those were a little <laughs> bit different. We could talk about that uh, later. But... Um, uh, you know, my heart and, and why I love, you know, getting, getting doing things like the 30 for 30 or something other, it, it, it gives me a chance to go deep into a culture. And I think if you go deep into that culture, um, you're going to succeed. Or it's, it, it, and you tell the truth and you find the truth and you tell it. You know, when I was making um, Friday Night Lights, I remember the, I was very nervous. The most nervous I was after we finished the film was a screening we did for the Trojans and Pete Carroll. Because I knew I wanted to see how those guys would react to the film, and I knew when the lights come up, came up in that screening, and I'd look at those, you know, twenty-one-year-old football players and Pete Carroll and his coaching staff. I would look them in the eye, and it would be instant. There would be no bullshit. There'd be no, you know, you know, glad-handing or Hollywood speak. It would just be like, yes, no, or you know what, that was that was right, and and that was that was what I was, you know, aspiring for, and. When, when you approach it with that kind of desire to find the truth, everything else kind of falls into place. Connor, I mean, this is a quite, mostly a question about about storytelling. Well, and so so I mean, the you know, I think a real tenant of 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 what you know w- what we try and do um, w- within the genre of thirty for thirty, and 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 you know, and and in other forms as well is is. And we're not looking to, to tell survey stories. Like we're we're not looking to sort of be very um, um, shallow, right? It, it, it's it's sort of like our, our philosophy is always find the moment and, and and drill deep down into it. And so mm-hmm. so that can be about culture, that can be about character, it can be about time and place. Um, but we're always looking to to sort of get very specific and 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 take. That sort of little sliver of this journey, and and by trying to go as deep into that as you can, you're hopefully exposing this larger truth. You don't need to, you know. Part of that is giving your audience a lot of credit that they're going to understand what you're saying without sort of having to sit there and have someone say it. Um, you know, that, that's not always perfect. It doesn't always work. But we always start with that premise of of you, you know the, the 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 doc we made with with Pete about Wayne Gretzky was was not. This is the greatest hockey player of all time. Let us tell you 25 years of, of, of his history. It was, let's talk about this moment when he was traded. Yeah, and if we me. look at that from every single angle, you will completely understand who this guy was, what he meant to the sport, and what he meant to the community in Edmonton um, um, and, 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 and the future of the NHL without yeah. you ever having yeah. to explain any of that. Um, and, and that's, I think, when you do that right, that's a, that's a dynamic that, at least for us, really works. You guys were so smart to, to, to say, like, for, with me, 
I mean, you, they, they pitched me the idea of the Gretzky trade. So they came to me and I was like, well, what do you want to do? And that's such a, you know, an unanswerable question when there's really no, these guys are so, we'll give you, we'll let you do pretty much anything you want. We'll give you a good budget, what, anything in sports. And it was so vast that it was hard for me to get my head around it. And then they, they came to me with, what about, they knew I loved Gretzky and I was in L.A. when the trade, what about that week of the trade? And just really analyze that and go deep into that. And that, um, that was right up my alley, you know, because that I could get my head around and I knew we could go very, very deep into a very, you know, finite period of time. Um, and I remember the deeper we went into it, there was one kind of, and you talk about like in th the 30 for 30s, you get that kind of wow moment. There's that mm -hmm. moment. And like with the Gretzky thing, I had this plan to play golf with Wayne and we we're going to just play 18 holes of golf. And during the course of the, you know, just talk about, about his life and, and so we met at the driving range and we started talking at the range. Immediately started, to, the conversation got so intense, we never left the range. But like, I never realized it, you know, from, and as we started talking more and more, he talked about the, I think it was five Stanley Cups they won, it was either five or six at Edmonton. And they broke that team up. And he won and, four and said he would win. Yeah, and, 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 and then they broke the team up and he came to LA and he won zero. And I never really thought about, I'm like, well, because you have Mark Messier and Grant Furion, young. I'm like, well, how many do you think you would have won if you'd stayed at Edmonton? He didn't hesitate. He said 11. Mm. I said, do you think about that a lot? He goes, every day. Every day. And that tear just came out of his eye. And I was like, whoa, you know, like, this is really awesome. And, and it was this <laughs> great moment that Gretzky was crying. And, like, and it was because they gave me a simple idea, and we could go deep into it. But if you do that back to what I think you're in your original question, if you do that really well, then you have to take people back into that moment and set the time and the place and talk about the culture around them. Um, so why do movies go the opposite direction then, generally? I mean, why do movies sort of start, at, well, they don't even go very specifically in. They just remain pretty generic in terms of what they think an audience can handle and you know that the Rocky model, I think, is the is the sort of that's the paradigm through which a lot of sports movies, regardless of what the sport is, yeah. follow. I mean, I think that you know why, why are so many movies horrible? I mean, that's the bigger question. <laughs> <laughs> like, like but these sports movies are bad. But in a we're not any more way. worse than all the other movies that suck. You know, I mean, there's some really bad <laughs> movies, and inherently, um, it you know. I, my, my, everyone has an opinion, but it's, you know, if, if you're, if you're in a, an environment where an idea gets generated, we're going to make a film about, so, someone comes up with the idea, we want to, you know, pick it. We're going to make a film about uh, the, the, the 72 dolphins that went undefeated. I'm just literally making this up now. Some, someone has an idea. He then has a, he takes it to a studio executive who buys it, and he wants to put his imprint on it and gets kicked up to their boss, and they don't put their imprint on it. So now it's three diluted ideas all kind of hovering around something that was pretty good. Mm -hmm. And then they go and they hire a writer, and they bring some poor bastard in there who's, you know, lucky to have a job, and he'll say anything, and he puts a little of his mark on it and gets down four people, and they bring a director in who just, you know, kind of like circling four or five different jobs and he comes in and then he messes it up some more and they fire the writer and bring another one in and now it's a, a complete mess and then they get a movie star who wants to kind of 
stomp. And before you know it, nobody's got any real blood in the game, you know. And I think um, when when you can hold people accountable, you know, um, like I had blood in the game uh, on Friday Night Lights. So I went and lived in that community and, you know, took it, took it on. Um, I think you have a better chance of having a, a more pure experience. It also sounds like you did more than that. I mean, everything you just described about why movies go bad, you seem to avoid it. You wrote the script. Yeah. You lived in that town in Texas. Yeah. You didn't cast any stars, really. I mean, no huge stars that would come in and say, well, Peter, really? Yeah. <laughs> I have some demands. Yeah. Uh, well, that, I mean, for the most yeah. part, it was... I felt like um, like it, it was the same thing that I did for um, Lone Survivor, which, you know, there were groups of films about real people, and you know, obviously in Lone Survivor, ni- 1980 SEALs were killed, and those SEALs all had mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers, and the Navy SEAL community, very judgmental, just like the Texas football community is, extremely ju- judgmental, and if you get it wrong and, you know, you have run into Mac Brown at a, a, a local barbecue, who's going to tell you? And my feeling was, well, if, if I could uh, do the research and live in that culture and be as smart about it as I possibly could, so nobody could walk up to me and say, well, you, you got that wrong. Or, you don't understand, um, you know, a cover three defense. You don't know what a, the band looks like at a high school playoff game. If I, if I knew as much as I could, I would be, I'd be able to defend myself against the, the attempts to dilute the story. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hard to... You know, if, if, you try make, if you make yourself as, as smart as you can, at least smart enough to know when you, you know, say, okay, look, I don't, I don't know this. Could you help me? And they respect you because they know you've done as much work as you can to understand all the rest of it. It makes it easier to hold on to that control. It makes you more bulletproof. And, and I'll, I'll just take that from a, a little bit of a different angle, which is to say that, that you know, in the sports world generally, you, we can pick the date and we can, you know, but in, in sort of media post-1990, maybe it's 1988, like mm-hmm. everything is documented. It all exists, right? Um, um, so, I mean, I'm a huge believer, obviously, in, in the nonfiction form, but but recreating sports action is really difficult. There's sports fans have a definite sense of perspective. Like, you're, you're not going to go make a movie about you pick the seventy-two. Brett Favre, and 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 um, have sports fans walk into that movie without, a, you know, a full set of preconceived notions of how you need to tell the story, what it will be, what the actor needs to look like, what the action on the field needs to be. So when when you're telling a true life story and and all the material has been documented. Um, why not tell it in the nonfiction way? Why not tell it as a documentary and, and let people relive the experience but, but give them context and perspective and, and make them think about it in a different way? I mean, I think that is when storytelling is it's, it's sort of at its most powerful. Rather than just say, okay, well, we're going to recreate exactly what happened with actors and action and, you know, go. So I'm curious about what your day-to-day life is like, Connor, in terms of uh, getting these movies produced. I mean, we sit in the same, you know, we sit relatively near each other at work. Um, and so the other day I saw these people come in and, like, there was a little bit of commotion. I'm still not sure. I now know who it was that was that was the subject of much, I think, consternation. I can't quite tell. 
Um, I'll, I'll tell you after specifically who I remember it to be. But it was one of those things where I thought, oh, yeah. People, I mean, I know people come in all the time and they're like, I want to do a 30 for 30. Because I'm ex-famous person and I saw other ex-famous. Peter Berg did one. Right. Why can't I? And they say so, that to me. They tell me, I want to do a 30 for 30. Like, I, I'm Dr. Connor. I can't imagine. It must be horrible. They must. No, everyone I, wants. To there do are people. I haven't told you this, but but you're, one of your Dan Silver, who you work with and we're friends with, knows this. There are actors. I ran, I spent a week with an actor who only wanted to talk to me about why his thirty for thirty proposal got rejected. Yeah. And that's what it's like. You get. You'd be shocked to know who is like trying to get these movies made. And the, the question that I'm really interested in. Since this has become, this began as a real tribute to both sports, to, to both to sports and storytelling and documentary filmmaking, right. and it began as that, and now it's a what I would consider a phenomenon. And as with all phenomena, people, uh, you know, they want to get on the bandwagon. What is the thing that? What do people most misunderstand about how to make these movies? That they, I think, presume might be easy. So, so, or that they're gonna, you're gonna hold their hand through it. It's a lot there. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you know, I, I think first of all, what, what you're saying, it, it, I would argue, is much more a tribute to people's passion for sports than it is passion for thirty for thirty or sports storytelling. I mean, when when people connect with sports, they they they. They tend to do it from a very young age. It, it tends to be, a, you know, sports are inherently sort of conservative institutions. They don't change over time. So, so you, you have these feelings for the New York Yankees or the Dallas Cowboys or the Kansas City Chiefs, and, the, and they stay with you forever. And, and you, you can set, you know, place and time in your life to emotions you felt reacting to something that happened. And, and, and so, you know, when, when we talk to sports fans, it, it, it's... And we give them the opportunity, as as, as we initially started with, with Peter, it, to to make a movie about a story that they care about or something that they've thought about. If you're a sports fan, that can be an incredibly compelling proposition. But right. there has to be a story, and and the person making it has to care about it, and they have to want to do it, and and it's a lot of work. Um, and, and I tend to think that that can be um, that can be figured out pretty quickly in a conversation. You you, you have a, a, a five minute conversation with Peter. You understand that that when he does work, it's stuff that he cares about. It's not a hey, let me put my name on something. And and you know, it, it, so if you connect with someone and they have a story to tell, then that's the basis of a conversation. That conversation can. You know, if, if if you're smart about it and, and, and you really talk to them and you do a really a lot of the work up front, that conversation can go a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but but I think you then have to be, um, um, you know, you, Dan and I will talk a lot about the idea of, of it's it's you know it ends up becoming maybe more important what you say no to than what you sort of say yes to, right? It, it, it's when, when you can create something that people have an affinity for and a, and a level of quality in your brand, you really can't, you know, you have to be really diligent about trying not to compromise that and saying, okay, well, we're just going to do this because someone asked us to or wants to. You have to really connect with the story and, and understand. You know, we, we make movies. We, Peter and I were talking before this about he's, he's making a series of documentaries for HBO that are verite films. And, 
And that's an entirely different animal than, than what we're doing in 30 for 30. We're making movies where there are stories with a beginning, middle, and end, and, and we know the ending before we begin. Right? There, there, you, you hope that, that there's a reveal of moments or story points or emotion along the way, but, but we fundamentally know where they're going. Right. Um, and, and that's a much easier conversation to have than, than well, we're going to go spend time with parents of kids who, you know, who are crazy about their kids' potential athletic careers. And, Insane, actually. And, right, and, <laughs> and, and hope that we get material that we can piece together to, to really tell a narrative. That, you know, so, so that, that inherently makes our development conversations a, a lot easier. Mm-hmm. The, the only reason we do it that way is we couldn't get HBO to say yes because of 30 for 30. So we had to come up with some incredibly preposterous pitch so that where we could say we'll be different from 30 for 30 because we're going to be verte and we're going to just see what happens. We secretly set up all that stuff in advance. Well, I mean, but to your, uh, but I mean, you're sort of making fun of this in some ways, but you actually are a filmmaker. Yeah. And I think that you are in a small camp of people who, I mean, the thing that I was most impressed about with Friday Night Lights was just how it looked. I mean, it was... You, it's one of the few sports movies to treat sports, small towns, the, the entire sort of cultural dynamic of, of football cinematically. And, and talk, I mean, the, talking about how Friday Night Lights looked, the, the look of the television show, I think now people don't remember how revolutionary yep. the style that, that they put in place on, on, on that show where they shot it with, I mean, you should talk about that, not me, but, but it, it, it was almost a nonfiction aesthetic. Um, I mean, and that, that was, that, the style, we, we started that uh, for the most part on the film, and it was, it was kind of to, to what you're saying, that you know, we knew we couldn't, the, 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 the trying to stage football and, and bring you know, cameras onto the field and come up with unique angles, we were talking at dinner about how fundamentally people are used to watching sports in a certain way, and if you mount cameras to the helmets of players and, and take them in, it, it, it automatically triggers a, a, a kind of a BS call, I think, and you know the the uh, you you lose the, the the verisimilitude, right? The reality, the truth of it, and so my approach was if we're, if we're, let's keep it real, as real as we can, and that created a, a handheld style of filming and a very improvisational style and. We, we used all NFL cameramen, you know, Steve Sable's guys, to um, film the football because they had such an inherent eye for, you know, on, we, and we looked at all, the editor, Colby Parker Jr., and I looked at the, um, uh, you know, tons of old NFL film, films footage, which was, you know, such a huge part of my life watching NFL films, um, and it was our desire to, to try and, make it feel as authentic as possible. And that was from the wardrobe to the way we shot to the letting the actors improvise and not, not try to, to, to do, re- recreate something kind of moment for moment in a Hollywood way. And that gave birth to the show. And the cool thing is it was very fast, so we were able to shoot it very quickly, like, like in three days sometimes. What most TV shows would spend nine days doing so we, we were cheaper. So when the ratings were struggling, we were, we were able to do it for so cheap that we were able to stay on. Um, were you surprised by the sort of the passion for for the whole thing? Because I talked to Buzz 
Bissinger about, I mean, if you don't know Buzz Bissinger, he's very cool. I mean, he's beyond cool. He, he doesn't, you know, he, he'll say, ah, of course, it's a great book, and it's not a surprise at all. But um, it's kind of surprising, this, this, the, the passion for the show, especially among people who, who would say they, they aren't sports fans. Well, I mean, the show, we, yeah, I mean, we, we were surprised that when, when the show started to kind of catch and um, we realized that there were a lot more people watching it than the, what was being reported, yeah. you know, on, on Thursday nights or Wednesday nights or Tuesday nights or wherever, you know, we were being moved to constantly. But we realized something was catching on. You know, I could tell when I would, you know, go to get gas or go to an airport and get on a plane, the intensity that people wanted to talk about the show and it became very apparent that, and this goes, you know, back to the, the first thing we're talking about, well, how, why they, when these things work, they have very little to do with sport. And mm-hmm. it was really about, you know, I mean, <coughs> it's pretty profound. You know, people come up to you and say, you know, this, this show saved my marriage, you know, and, or, or, you know, we finally figured out how to talk to our daughter about sex or drugs or, um, you know, whatever, whatever the issue was. And, and that, that, Schools were using it to talk about racism. They were showing it at you know Ivy League colleges to, as a, a, a sociological tool to get into, and and it was it was mind blowing for us all. And I have to give you know Buzz Bissinger the credit. You know it, it started with an extraordinary piece of source material that had this energy. You know and that's why we did the TV show because after the film, you know. A two-hour film, and we felt like there was so much more in that book, and we and you know Jason Kadams, who really did most of the writing on that show, um, and I felt there was something there, and and I it it it, it starts for it with Friday Night Lights with that book. So we're gonna turn it over to questions in a second, but before we do that, I just wanted to ask, uh, along the lines of what we've been talking about, I was thinking about the movies movies that I love a lot that happen to have sports in them and, you know, what I love about them. And I was thinking about things like Fat City, um, this great boxing movie that John Huston made um, in the early 1970s. Um, which, have you guys seen that? I've Fat not. City, people. It's, no, it's great. Is Fat, Fat City, anybody? <laughs> it's it's Jeff, Jeff Bridges and Stacey Keach. It's, it's great. Um, the best boxing movie ever made. Great White Hype. Uh, you well. This brings me to my other question, which is one of the one of the other great boxing movies. I want to talk about Ron Shelton, um, and why, and how unique he is in terms of what we're talking about, and just in terms of the entertainment industry. This is a guy who, the bulk of his career was devoted to really great sports storytelling, and and sports comedies. Um, he wrote a couple really good sports dramas, uh, Blue Chips, for instance. Um, and what, it, I mean, you've worked with him. Uh, what, what does he do that, that, that very few other people seem to do? This is, uh, Ron Shelton who made Tin Cup and Bull Durham. Bull Durham, yeah. He wrote, uh, um. White Man Can't Jump. He, did, he wrote and directed White Man Can't Jump. Um, what, what is it about him that, that. Well, I think he gets, so, he gets what we're talking about. He, he loves sports and, and is able to look at it. Uh, he, he's, he's. I've seen him at so many boxing matches still. You know, he's, he's a guy like, kind of reminds me of um, Norman Mailer. You know, mm-hmm. he's like a reinvention of Norman Mailer, who, did you ever read that book, The Fight, about, uh, which is a great book, yes. about the Foreman-Ali mm-hmm. fight? 
Uh, and, and he, because George Foreman hurt his hand, and so they, they had to suspend the fight for a month. And they had to all stay in Africa for an extra month. And it was Norman Mailer and Hunter Thompson and Muhammad Ali all, like, in a little hut. <laughs> like, and, then, and uh, you know, he wrote a great book, The Fight. And if you ever want to get that free reading time, I recommend it. But uh, I think Shelton just got it. You know, he had real passion for sport, real passion for humanity, and was able to, 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 to build that bridge. Are you a Ron Shelton person, Connor? I am. I mean, the, those, the, the movies that, that, that you reference are, are sort of like I always feel like you know, as as Hollywood has made less and less sports movies, I always think of that as as, as you know a shame because the movies that that I grew up with that I view as sort of iconic films that that sort of I, I watched over and over again were all sports movies, right? Field of Dreams, The Natural, um, you know, into Bull Durham and and, and Ron's movies. Um, and I think you know to, to sort of in a different way, he he hit upon a, a lot of the things that 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 Peter did well, which is you know he creates these worlds, right? The the um, um, Bull Durham is a movie about baseball, but it's really about a minor league team and a small town community and and the characters within it, right? And and um, you know so I, I think while there's sort of a a, a, a different. Um, sensibility to it. It, it. It's the same concept. Right. I also, I mean, think that one of the great things about him is that he made sports movies about sports men play, but women were as much a part of the of the narrative and of the characters' sort of mm-hmm. inner lives as as more than any movie I can think of, um, where there was integral to the to the environment of the filmmaking too. Um, and that was one of the reasons that I, I think that a lot of people responded to Friday Night Lights was that, you know, Tammy Taylor was, you know, as much a she was the other major character yeah. on the show. Yeah, I mean, that was a great kind of accidental discovery about Friday Night Lights is, you know, <clears throat> we were, I, I had lunch with uh, um, Jeff Zucker today, who at the time was, was the president of, of uh, NBC, and, and, you know, when it first came out, and the NBC looked at, you know, we got this show for kids about football, and, you know, they sold Taylor Kitsch with his shirt off, holding a football helmet <laughs> with his hair, and oh, they oiled him up, and we were like, I don't know, it doesn't feel, but they're like, trust us, we know how to sell these things. And, you know, and, 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 and Taylor's like, they got a wind machine on me, and they're taking pictures, and I don't, this just feels horrible, like, you look like Fabio, you know, remember the, the book covers? and Or Beyonce. <laughs> kind of, yeah. just say it. Yeah, and uh, oh, well, and uh, and then after like a month of four episodes, people realized it was actually a show about a marriage, right. and that it was this kind of, you know, it felt like a, a realistic, achievable marriage that people could relate to. That was, you know, flawed and full of challenges, but at the end of the day. Um, these two people had formed this team and this pack to take care of each other and to look out for each other and to literally have each other's back. And it felt like we did it just enough so that it didn't feel like, you know, um, saccharinated, you know, BS. It felt real. And um, and at the end of the day, that's, you know, I always say that right now it's a really show about a marriage more than anything else. So there's a mic that's going to get passed around. I don't, there it is. We have two people with mics. So just raise your hand, and um, they'll find you. 
Okay, so my quick question, I know, Connor, you were saying that for a lot of people, sports um, kind of stays the same, and those feelings carry with them forever. So what were your guys' like, first sports moments that really made you realize that you love sports and you want to tell sports stories? Uh, Brian's song for me, which I just watched with my son, who's 14, about three months ago, and I, I really think it holds up. I mean, that was... That was the first time I ever had huge tears and snot bubbles and, you know, <laughs> and, and that was, for me, very, you know, clear film I watched. I cried and I felt the power of sports and film. And, and I mean, I guess I, I would say the, 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 the movie that I watched that really uh, um, made an impact was Hoop Dreams. I mean, that, that was, to me, like like... Uh, it, it's hard to, I think it's hard to remember now sort of how revolutionary that movie was because I think when, when, when things really reinvent a genre and then they do it or, or, or invent a genre and then they do it so well that everybody copies it, like it, it's hard to take yourself back to the time and place where we're sort of like, oh, okay, I've never seen anything like this where there's real people telling real stories that, that kind of, uh, um, so I think that movie w was one that, that uh, when did that, 1993, 94, 94, 94 that came out? I, remember, I mean, I remember the feeling I had coming out of that, um, you know, in, the, in the, the narrative world. It was probably Field of Dreams. There was also a play, a uh, football play, The Immaculate Reception. Uh, did you guys, I mean, should know Franco Harris and the Immaculate, right? If you don't know that, go YouTube that when you get home. But that was the most shocked I've ever been in a, where, you know, this cra crazy last-second victory, literally a ball snatched from the ground, and that was a, a moment when I remember just screaming at the television like a lunatic, you know, and that, that was a <laughs> profound moment. <coughs> Um, hello. First, I just want to say I think uh, Friday Night Lights, the show, is a groundbreaking um, show and definitely touched my heart. Um, but speaking of groundbreaking, I know that uh, Netflix, uh, with uh, House of Cards, they gave them a two-year deal. My question to you is, do you think that we've seen the death of the, that we're going to see the death of the pilot, and then what other sort of changes do you see in terms of um, disruptive technology and how it's going to affect the, what's the biggest change as far as the TV business and will there still be a revenue stream and whatnot? Um, yeah, I, th I think there will, there, will, there will still be a revenue stream, uh, always, I, I, I would hope. So I'll just, because I want there to be one, I'll say there will be one. But I think that, um, uh, what, what, what I see, and you know, this is, what my, these are, this is my perception that you know, it's getting much harder to get real showrunners, legitimate, you know, guys like Vince Gilligan, the, the really talented guys are not, you're going to be much, if, if you're NBC or a network and you've got commercials and you're asking for a 22 episode season and you want, you know, that's, you're asking for someone's blood and you're, you're maybe promising more money, but the talented filmmakers and creators of television are going to go to the Netflix, they're going to go to the pay services, they're going to go to, you know, um, Xbox's funding shows now, and I mean, whatever, whatever distribution platform exists in that new moment, you know, I'm sure iPhone will be funding its own show soon, and or Apple will, um, they will, and, you know, if, if, if you're a talented 
writer, you, you know, it's reasonable to do 12 and not have commercials and be able to have the freedom of, you know, like what, what House of Cards does of shooting them all and giving people the binge experience, which I personally love. Um, you know, it's awesome, right? I, I was up for two days watching the last season of House of Cards, right? <laughs> I wish you called me. I was like, I need to talk to somebody. <laughs> and we all made out with the Secret Service agent, and I, I was like, oh, my God. I was alone, like an animal at four in the morning. <laughs> like, like, yeah, and no one to call. Yeah, it's horrible life, but it's fun. You can't com they can't compete with that. How's, how's NBC going to offer you that experience? So, so, so the best experience will win, and someone will figure out a way of paying for it. I was going to ask, do you think that like, there's a way, like, would that model, would the Netflix model have been appealing to you if it had been presented to you initially when that show was headed to NBC? Yeah, well, you know, yeah, for sure. I think in, in Friday Night Lights, this is my, like, distorted memory of like, how I choose to remember things, but if you really think about it, all the Netflix and all these new deals and stuff, really, Friday Night Lights was the first one of these kind of unique deals because we were about to get canceled, and uh, Eric uh, uh, Shank, Shanks, who's now the head of the Fox, Fox he was, a direct TV. was the head of DirecTV, and Ben Silverman, who was the head of NBC, made this crazy deal where DirecTV paid, it was the first time a show, DirecTV bought Friday Night Lights and paid for half the budget and kept us alive. Um, and, you know, if we had just gone to DirecTV and we would have had, you know, no commercials. And, like, one of the things I'm most proud of with Friday Night Lights is we did that with commercials. Yeah. You know, we dealt with, we couldn't say bad words. We couldn't have nudity. We had to, like, really tuck it in, you know, and and have commercials, which are just, like, you know, if, if you're a filmmaker and you just, you know, suddenly you're right in the middle of something really, and, you know, right in the middle of the Kevin and Robin making out with the Secret Service guy, they're going to commercial? I could have used a commercial with that. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm Sorry. Like, you know, so, yeah, it would have been great. One of the things that impressed me so much is, I'm, I'm also a sports hound, is that the very, the very nature of it, you tell such great stories in a documentary, and yet tell something new. For me, The Two Escobars is a perfect example. And it really brought home to people, you could have sports, in a documentary style, tell the truth, but you know, relate the two of them together and still say something new and make it relevant. Um, and that was wonderful. But I have to disagree with you um, because you said that when you do these documentaries, you already know the ending. Well, I saw Champs, and it's not an ending. It, you left it open. And because of that documentary, a lot of things are going to change. So, you know, you may think it's one way, but you're actually opening the door to another. And I think that just shows the world just how big sports are and can be for everyone. So I was being... A, I was oversimplifying a little when we talked. Champs is not a, a film we made. 
Um, and I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on that specifically. But I mean, I think you know, I, when I say you know the ending, I, I, I guess um, um, I, I, I mean more generally, uh, um, we know where we're taking the story. Now, if you, if you if you have that spine and you're and you're trying to stay true to to that through line, then the hope is that that you're working with really talented directors. Who are going out and throwing themselves into it and 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 surprising you along the way, um, right? And 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 so, you know, you have to clearly, if if you if you're doing, um, um, you know, if you're working with a director who who finds that the story is going so, you have to be flexible, right? You have to be open to the conversation, and um, so I, w- I was sort of being a little provocative when I said that because it's it's very different than a verite film, but. You have to be open-minded throughout the process of, okay, well, we thought it was this, but clearly we need to trust that, that the person making the movie wants to take it over here. I uh, wonder, uh, there's a huge, uh, I mean, billions of people who follow uh, soccer. Yeah. I wonder why there's no great movies about soccer. It's really hard to film soccer. I've tried filming it. Uh, it, it just, it's just, it's hard. You know, I've thought, because I love soccer, and I've thought about doing something from a dramatic standpoint about uh, soccer, and it, 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 there's such a, a, a flow to soccer, a, a gentle flow that suddenly has this, you know, this moment of intensity. Where, but, you know, 90% of a soccer game not a lot happens, and there's a randomness to it. Hockey, similar problems, but soccer even more. Uh, it, it's, it's a hard film. It's a hard sport to film, you know, in my opinion, unless you do something really stylized. There's a Guy Ritchie did a really cool soccer commercial that I don't think anybody ever saw. I think it was for Nike. A very stylized, intense, um, uh, you know, cool piece, but you couldn't really sustain a film that way. And, you know, despite, um, you know, for, for an American audience and, uh, you know, soccer, like, you know, Ron Howard just made a, a phenomenal movie about F1 racing, and America sort of rejected that concept, you know, despite the popularity of that sport. <laughs> soccer generally, I mean, you have to go back to, was it Victory with Stallone and Pele? And, I mean, you know. Is that a 30 for 30? Next score win? I don't, I don't, I don't know, know what, what that is. We're, I mean, we're in the middle, right? Like, literally, right now, we're in, we're in the middle of airing a series called 30 for 30 Soccer Stories. Um, uh, as, you know, the, the, with the World Cup coming, we, we, we wanted to, to take the time to sort of tell what we thought were important international soccer stories, um, largely because we, we had had so much success with, with the two Escobars. We, we also we bought a, a documentary four or five years ago um, called Once in a Lifetime about the New York Cosmos, which is one of the best documentaries you, you'll ever see. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we, aired a, we aired a doc two weeks ago now um, called Hillsboro, uh, made by an incredibly talented uh, British filmmaker named Daniel Gordon, which, which I, I, I would put up there with, with the best things we as a network have ever put on the air. Um, so you know we're we're trying to, to to tell stories set in the world of, of 
international soccer, and I, and I think we're, we're, you know, I, I hope we're succeeding at it. Hi. Uh, two baseball movies I want to mention and a question. So Major League um, is my favorite baseball movie, and, and at the end, the Indians win. They, they win the World Series. They beat the Yankees. And then Moneyball, which is more modern film, Oakland loses. So my question is, when you're, when you're thinking about telling a story about a sports team and they lose, what, what goes through your mind? It's like, well, what's the next story that you want to tell when they lose? Uh, are, you, are, you, are you asking me? Because in Friday Night Lights, they obviously lose, right? Uh, you know, and it, it was interesting because we, we designed the reality of Friday Night Lights was a book, and the, the Permian Panthers lost that game, you know? So one of the great, one of the things I was so attracted to was the, the, the idea of, of loss. I mean, 99% of the teams lose, right? And only one win, everybody else loses. And, you know, that, the, the, the complexities of handling loss and how to, you know, how young men and their parents handle that kind of loss when the stakes are so high. Um, you know, I, th I thought it was just, it's, it's very interesting. And I, that was something I embraced. And I, I find the, the psychology of, uh, you know, being able to handle yourself with grace and being able to pull yourself together and pick yourself back up and all of those, I find that, you know, kind of endlessly fascinating. But um, when we were doing the test screenings for Friday Night Lights, you know, where you bring an audience like you guys in and the studio's all there and we're in the back and we're showing the movie and, you know, the audience is going to rate the movie. It's very, and as a filmmaker, suddenly you're at the mercy of, you know, just basic... Someone could be like, you know, Billy Bob Thornton sucks. <laughs> and suddenly it's like, you're, you know, or this direction sucks and everyone's like, you know, there's another director coming. And like, so you're nervous... And the final game was going on, and, and the audience was like, they're going to win, they're going to win, they're going to win. And then they come up short, and this one woman just stood up and said, what the fuck? <laughs> fucking bullshit. And, and you could see the audience, we just not used to that. The expectation is right. And so I was like, oh, God. <laughs> and I went out. After the movie was over, I went outside. They were getting ready to do the focus group, and... Stacy Schneider, who's a good friend of mine, she was a president of Universal, a very cool woman, but a boss, strong. She walked out. I was in the parking lot, and I heard her heels, you know, and I saw her. She was coming at me. She's like, I think it played well. I'm like, yep. I'm like ignoring that this woman had just right, done this. And she said, look, uh, do you have any thoughts? I'm like, no, I, I, I think we're good. She's like, you know, if, if the ball just goes two feet further and they <laughs> score, we'll probably make like $30 million more. <laughs> and I'm like, state, she goes, I know, I'm just saying, I'm saying I love celebrating loss and exploring the psychology of loss, Peter, but we make 30 more million dollars if they just win. Uh, and to her credit, I'm like, come on, let's not do that. And, and Buzz would have gone insane, by the way, which would have been terrifying. But and just you know, you'll make it up at some with some other movie, which you wound up doing anyway. So I mean, sort of. I mean, yeah. You had him win in the uh, with the, the end the, of the first TV, season of the, the TV, TV show. Right? They won. We yeah. were very, so well, that, we were very clear that they were going to win. And 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 I, look, I like winning. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of winning. I'm all for it. But there was 
something, you know, the book, I think one of the reasons the book was so unique was they, they lost, so. We have time for one more question. So, a lot of questions. It's a lot of questions. Who's got a good one? <laughs> okay, what do you got? Does she have a microphone? No. Yes. Not really. I mean, I was just, I was, pardon me? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, we were just talking and got caught up in a conversation, and something occurred to me that this could have maybe been the greatest sports dynasty in the history of any sport if they just, but he, he broke it up. And they would have, you know, he said they would have won 11 Stanley Cups. I mean, what franchise has ever won 11, one group of players? And so it's something that's, it occurred to me that, you know, he must be tormented by this. And I don't think he's, he would probably take exception to the word torment, but it certainly is something that weighs heavy. So one more mic question. Right, so whoever has it. One of the things I find great about 30 for 30 is it gives perspective to old stories. But that also makes me curious, what current sports stories do you think in 10 years will be great 30 for 30 films? Whoa. Um... So I mean I you know I, I I think one of the one of the great things about doing this series at ESPN I mean it, it's truly a luxury is that is that we are connected to uh, and I think it's one of the luxuries of, of, of probably of writing for Grantland that, that we're connected to this incredible news and information organization that is telling stories every single day of everything that's happening so so you 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 get the privilege of picking and choosing and being able to say well 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 we're not going to cover this because we're going to wait and we're going to see what what this actually meant um, you know it's so I, I mean I don't even know where to begin with a, a, a guess on that um, um, I don't know what do you do you have a perspective or something <laughs> I'll put it right back at you how many people have thirty for thirty ideas right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucked. <laughs> no, well, I mean, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good. Right. So, I mean, so the way, right, so we always try and attack those things from, from right the story perspective. How do we find the journey of one kid who who does something that? You know, we may not even realize it may have already happened that tips the balance towards um, um, profound change, right? And and so, you know, when when you can when you can let five or ten years go by and you can look back on that and you can say, oh wait a second, when when um, um, you know there was a there was a great real sports piece about Ed O'Bannon in that space, right? Of of, of you know his his ongoing pursuit against the the NCAA, like where you can say, okay, well, well, we may not have gotten it at the time, but what was going on here was this journey that 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 changed everything. Those are the those are the exact stories we we want to we want to tell. And and you know the the you didn't realize it at the time is sort of the key point of that, right? Because because the stuff that's obvious to us now and we're all talking about um, becomes somehow less interesting. Um, it, it's the things where you go, oh, okay, I never thought of it that way when, when we've really done our job right. Well, thanks for coming. <laughs> thanks, Peter. Thanks, Connor. Thank you.